Today we're going to look at the uh, fifth parable of Jesus in our study of uh, parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Again, today's parable is another unique story reported only by Luke, and I entitled it Dumb and Dumber. I hope and trust that most of you have seen this uh, blockbuster comedy movie starred by Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. How many of you don't know Dumb and Dumber? Have you? Okay. If you have uh, extra time, it's okay. <laughs> you know, you can laugh a lot. And you feel, you, you, you'll feel good about yourself. If you feel dumb, this movie will encourage you. And uh, speaking of Dumb and Dumber, uh, today, those of you new in our church, uh, last November on Pastors Appreciation Month, our congregation gave me socks. Everyone gave me socks, and uh, you know I tried to match socks to my Sunday sermon. And uh, today's uh, socks is a theme of a dumb and dumber because this sock makes me feel very dumb. And uh, are you curious? And whoever gave me this sock, please let me know. I don't know your intention, but this is what this sock is. This sock is all about mathematical formulas that I don't recognize any one of them. <laughs> So here is a thumb, Pastor. But anyway, unlike the main characters of the movie, the main character of our parable today was not dumb. Actually, he was very smart and successful. Yet he was dumb. I might add, he was tragically dumb because he followed his greed more than God. Yes, today's parable has a serious, is a serious and sobering reminder to all of us that although we might be smarter and more successful than others, but our life still can be dumb if our focus is not on God. So with that, let's read our text together. Luke chapter 12, 13 to 21. Let's read together. Uh, so let's read responsibly. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And I'll say to myself, you have a plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's read together. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Before we talk about greed, we need to understand and confess one thing very clearly. That is, greed is not a problem of the wealthy, but it's a problem of everyone. Let me repeat that. Greed is not a problem of only wealthy people, but a problem of everyone. You know, when we hear the word greed, we tend to think of someone rich and ambitious like Gordon Gecko 
In movie Wall Street, it tells you how old I am. <laughs> greed is good. Greed is right. You know, greed works. That's okay. Our tendency is to create a caricature of a greed. We draw, we draw this extreme picture of a greed in our mind and say, well, that doesn't look like me. But greed is not just an old miser counting coins in a basement. Today, Jesus gave a serious warning about greed, not to the wealthy, but the common people of the first century. On that note, a commentator said this, If Jesus spoke this solemn warning to Jewish men and women in the first century, many of them who live the day to day, how much more strongly would he speak it to us as Americans living in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world? Greed is everybody's problem, especially everyone in America, where capitalists bluntly praise greed as a force behind the free market system. So what is the definition of a greed? What does it mean to be greedy? Greek word for greed is a pleonekates. pleonekates. This is a compound word of a polus and echo. Polus is a many, you know, uh, uh, polis, the city, People, you know, many, you know, it came up. Plethora, you know, many, you know, it also came from here. So, but the original uh, uh, meaning of the Greek, I mean, the Greek, it actually came from Hebrew. So ESB translating a little differently, more, you know, a Hebrew, you know, nuance, that beyond guard against all covetousness, all covetousness. And that's, you know, don't be, don't, don't, don't covet. Don't covet. Don't be covetous. That's the last of the Ten Commandments or Decalogue of Moses. You know, often people think that the uh, Ten Commandments are somehow uh, based on the order of importance. The first one is important and the last one is less important. That's not the case. You know, Ten Commandments are all equally important and interrelated and interdependent. Let's review quickly about Ten Commandments. First one is, thou shalt not have no other God before me. Second one is, thou shalt not make any idols of you know, creation. Third is, thou shalt not take you know, God's name vain. Fourth is, thou shalt keep Sabbath holy. Fifth, my favorite, thou shalt honor your father first and your mother. Right? That's what the Bible says. Honor your father and mother. Children, get that clearly? Father, okay? And mother. And then sixth one is a you, sh, uh, you shall not, thou shall not murder. Seventh one, you, thou shall not commit adultery. Uh, eighth one, thou shall not steal. Ninth one, thou shall not bear false witness against your neighbors. And the last one is thou shall not covet. The first and the last commandment are expression of the same truth. It's sort of reflecting one another. If you are really committed to God, if you really trust that God is your creator and the Lord and provider, you don't have to covet. Your coveting actually reveals your unbelief in goodness of God. So this is why greed is opposite of a grace. Grace is an antidote to greed, while greed is antithetical to grace. Grace actually overcomes greed, 
while greed opposed her grace. Grace and greed cannot coexist. Just like Paul mentions a conflict between flesh and the spirit, yes, whenever there is a grace and greed, there is a conflict. This is why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and what? Mammon, the name, the God of materialism. God and mammon. God and greed cannot be served together. So, and then Jesus, today's text, Jesus wants us to understand that greed takes many forms. You know, while the literal meaning of uh, uh, greed simply means desire to have more, desire to have more, wants more, more stuff. But greed is expressed in many different ways. So let me just share a few ways and then, you know, I hope, well, let me share. You know, some people, greed is expressed in the way that they are always thinking about the next thing they want to buy. It excites them. It's not next thing they need to buy, but next thing they want to buy. That excitement is bigger than any excitement. Such as uh, Livingstone Bible Studies are coming in a few weeks. And there are other person, you know, uh, they, they don't buy tons of stuff, but when they buy, they have to have absolute the best. They say quality, you know, they take a pride in quality. You know. So another person greed is expressed not in the lavish lifestyle, but in craving to have a huge amount of a saving that gives that person a sense of security. So somebody look at that person's life, doesn't look like a very you know, uh, greedy, but when you look at the person's heart, what do you see? That person have a more trust in money than God. That's also a form of the greedy. I mean greed. Another person, greed, greed might be expressed in the lack of joy in sharing with others. You don't buy stuff for yourself, nor you buy stuff for anyone else. It just, you know, you know it's just, uh, you know. I want to say this. Crux of a matter for greed is not a how much money we have but how much money has our heart? That is a question of a greed. It's not how much money I have, or I want to have, but how much money is having my heart. That's why Jesus said, watch out. There are many ways that greed will deceive and drive you mad. In today's text, by the way, do you want to know my greed? Are you interested in knowing, finding out Pastor Paul's greed? Okay. Yeah. Someone say, yeah. I can even say, yeah. Okay. You know what? If you come to house church, <laughs> I will share with you. Because uh, am I crazy? I'm going to share my greed you know, in this uh, worldwide web, you know, website, and everybody in the world forever knows my greed. No, I'm not. I do have a greed. But, uh, you know, come to the house church. And then you will know my greed, and I'll know yours, and then we'll pray for one another. You know? That's how we'll overcome the greed. Now, you know, today's a text, one of the key words, actually the key word is a life. Verse 19, I mean 15, 19, 20, you know, the word life comes out a lot. Life does not consist in abundance of possession. Take life easy. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And the greed is a disease that 
weakens the meaningful life that God planned for us. So today I want to share with you briefly that the three danger or devastating effects that greed brings to us. First of all, very uh, first danger of greed is a greed destroyed relationship. Greed destroyed the relationship. Today's text begins with a someone with a money problem. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There is an angry guy in the crowd. It seems that his parents have passed away and they left an inheritance and his older brother was not willing to share the inheritance with him. So he's asking Jesus to settle the family dispute. In the first century, and also in Jewish culture you know, for a long time, it was not uncommon for Jewish people to appeal to rabbi. They give me some counsel for my personal life. But in this situation, look at it. This guy was not asking questions. What was it? What was doing? He was telling Jesus what to do. He was telling Jesus. You know, according to Deuteronomy 21, 17, the older one, first one has a double portion of the inheritance, and the remainder goes to the rest of the family. In this case, something must have gone wrong. He was so upset that he interrupted Jesus during his public discourse. Verse 13 said, someone in the crowd, right? If you look at the chapter 12, verse 1, actually context is this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands has gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Do you see that, uh, the, the, the context here? Jesus was talking to thousands of people, particularly his disciples, about, if you look at the, uh, the first part of chapter 12, Jesus talking about whom to really fear, whom really not to fear. He was talking about persecution and how to be faithful to God to the end. This is a serious topic. As you heard a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is on, on his way to the Jerusalem for the last time to die. And so he's preparing disciples for their crosses, right? In this solemn time, this guy was so upset, didn't care, except there's money. So he interrupted Jesus. And some scholars think, some New Testament scholars think that maybe his intention is not to ask, you know, not to receive his portion of inheritance, but actually punish his brother with uh, this shame. He didn't mind bringing it out, this disgraceful, distasteful financial squabble of his family into public. This is a no, no, you don't talk about those things in public in front of several thousands of the people in during the religious serious discussion. And that's what it did. And that's what money does. That's what the greed makes us angry. Have you seen a family uh, 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 feud or squabble caused by finance and greed? I understand this very well because I grew up with a 
family environment where whenever there was a large uh, family gathering with extended family, the gathering was not happy. I mean, it was happy briefly, but uh, after dinner and the talk continued, I really, my, I really hated it. I remember because um, my father was a third generation firstborn. So, and even though he was not generous, but he did his best, and especially my mother as a first you know, daughter-in-law, they sacrificially sent all the remaining three siblings to colleges. They did their best without of their meager salary from, as a school teacher. But when my uncles and aunts gathered together, they always accusing and then bragging. And then even though I'm just a, uh, I'm, I'm a child, I could sense the tension. And finally, during my uh, junior high school year, I, I really couldn't take it. So I told my brother, I was, I was almost cursing at my uncles before my brother and my brother said, Paul, remember, this a horrible thing. Because now that we know how horrible it is for brothers to you know, have a, this kind of squabble over money, you and I, we should never, never argue uh, about money. If we do, we are the dumber than this guys. So dumb and dumber. You know that? So we say yes. And thank God, my brother is a generous and kind, and we never you know, had an issue. But you know, greed causes conflict in relationships. No, according to, uh, I mean, greed is a, one of the top three causes of a divorce. I mean, uh, 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 the money, financial greed, right? And uh, greed is everywhere. In, in not only the once again rich people, but uh, you know, when you go out as a group to eat together, and later when check comes, even dividing up, you know, oh, you know, you should pay more because your, 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 your dish was the most expensive kind of. We are all, you know, and then our church, we don't have, well, hopefully we have this problem, but I remember uh, be, uh, my previous, previous church where there are a lot of singles and there are many weddings. People talk about the wedding gift. Man alive, I brought that $200, you know, whatever express machine to them and they gave us a $35 toaster, you know. Pastor, they are cheap. You know, all those kind of things. Once again, whenever we value money and stuff over people, it bounds cause a conflict. Greed destroys the relationship. Second of all, greed, second danger of a greed is a greed deceives us and distort our reality. So here Jesus proceeds to give this man and everyone an answer through this famous parable of rich fool. Jesus said, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build the bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, 
You have a plenty of grain later for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Not only this farmer was rich and industrious, he was very, very smart and progressive. He, when he made a killing on market, he decided to, he decided that he would invest in capital improvement. His problem was no longer growth and production, but storage, surplus. So he going to pull down the old barns and prop the new one. You know, I want to, it is important for, to note that Jesus uh, doesn't say having money or being skilled and making money is wrong. Many godly men and women in the Bible and also in the church history, they've been wealthy. And they've been, you know, entrepreneurs. And they actually become a very good benefactors. So it's not an issue, it's not about uh, how much money we have. The problem is, the rich man's problem is not he's rich. What is his problem? He's selfish. He's selfish. He knows nothing but himself. So he hoards what he has and uses only for himself. And uh, he ultimately puts uh, trust in wealth. Do you notice that, uh, you know, in this, he's a, he has a self-talk, right? In his dialogue, self-talk, what is the repeating, you know, uh, uh, words here? I, 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 six I statement. I'll do this, I'll do that, I will tear down, I will, you know, I will build, you know, I will rest, I, will, I, I. And then four, you know, five times, my crops, my bonds, my grain, my goods, and myself. Everything is around them. You know, one thing we know about farming is that farming, you cannot have a success without God's providence, right? God's contribution is preeminently recognized in farming. A farmer depends on God to provide the sunny days and also right amount of moisture, too much or too little will be, you know, ruin the crops. God provides protection from the past and from natural disasters. Without God, there is no good harvest. But this guy takes everything into credit. And the worst of all, you know, worst of all, somehow he thinks he even has a control of his own soul and the future. So he said, soul, take care of yourself. Take it easy. You, you made it. Your future is good. He did everything well, but except what? In his selfishness, he completely has a, he has a distorted view of a reality. In that reality, there is no place of God. He made all the decisions without God. We're talking about here somebody who is a Jesus talking about Jewish people. So he must believe in God, but in his actual life, he doesn't depend on God, nor including God in his thinking. What do we call a person like this? We have a term for the practical atheist. He believes in God only in head, but he doesn't really make a decision thinking about God. And, you know, Bible said the Psalm 14:1 and 53 twice in the book of Psalms that the fool says in his heart there is no God. Fool said, in his heart, there is no God. Interesting thing is that the fool, according to the Bible, is somebody 
says, the, you know, denies God in his heart. Not in his head, but in his heart. What does it mean? He knows that God is there. He has a religion. He probably participated in religious you know, rituals. But in his real life, it's all about his desire, not God. God is only you know, doctrine, religion, social convention, cultural heritage. It's not personal. God is only just a concept. When it comes to really real matter of life, it's all about his heart. So he denies God in his heart. And the Bible calls it, that's a fall. Because if you don't include the almighty loving God in your plan, you are depriving yourself of the most wonderful you know, resource and then help that you can find in this world. If somebody is so powerful and so rich and so wise and, and loves you, it's really dumb not to use that person or ask that person for help, right? So youth, let me tell you, whatever you plan for the college and your future career, include God. God knows you. God made you. God knows what you are good at. So I know many of our youth, they're looking for, you know, they're praying about, they're talking to their friends and counselors about the career vocations and all the, you know, preparation for, you know, education now. You know, the most important thing I would say is a prayer. Prayer. God knows what you are good at, you know. God doesn't want you to just get a job. God wants to give you a vocation, calling, where you can really flourish. And yes. And so in this story, in this parable, this man, he just knows nothing but himself and he planned everything in his own way. And then what happened? Verse 20. This is a you know, surprise that he never counted. God said to him, you fall this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You know, this is the only parable in the New Testament where God is an actually part of the story. God is an actor. And here, God comes to, you know, when this rich, uh, uh, rich farmer thought, I, I got everything planned out. I'm set for good. And God comes. You're not in control of everything. You forgot the most important thing. And here, the word used that, what if tonight, very night, your life will be demanded from you? Your life demanded from you. From your, uh, from, from you. I wanted to do a one, uh, uh, one Greek term that uh, the demanded here. The word demanded in Greek word is uh, apaiteo. And uh, you have to know this is a legal term. You know what that legal term means? Legal term means, you know, when you, uh, you know, when you rent a, rent a car, what happens? You have to, after time of using it, what have to do? You have to return. You cannot own it. You have to return. You know, you are legally bound to return whatever things that you rented. And that's the term. 
when legally we are bounded, almost, like a certainly, life is not ours. God gave us a life. We are nothing but the steward of a life. And one day we're gonna, God will ask a life back because he is a creator of a life. And then what are you going to say? That's why God called this rich farmer, successful businessman, fool. Because he forgot the most important thing. That is, he is not the creator owner of his life. Whatever he owns is a temporarily lent from God. Lease is on lease. Now, worldly perspective, he managed very well. But from moral, spiritual perspective, he mismanages abundance in his life. And much worse, distorted his life. I mean, his reality. Now, let's move on quickly to the final point. This is, uh, for me, the uh, most important lesson of today. You know, Jesus gave a two sovereign word here. If you don't include God in your calculation of everything, including finance, Jesus said, once life is demand from you, who will get what you prepare for yourself? Whatever you have is now yours. Somebody, will, somebody else will take, take. And then verse 21, this is uh, Jesus' final statement. Very important, sobering, sobering statement. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. This is what Jesus said this. Jesus is not against, Jesus is not against us having material goods or making a lot of money. Those are the really good things. The question is, how are you going to keep all those God, you know, God, God-given blessings in the right way to celebrate them? Jesus wants us to be richer than anybody in this world. He became, he who, he who knows no sin became a sin for us. He who is the, the, the owner of the universe became as our servant and gave his most precious thing, life, for us so that we will be children of God. You know, Jesus is all about making us rich. Now, the greatest danger of greed is greed defraud our true wealth toward God. This is the third and final point. Reason greed is a spiritual you know, enemy and adversary that we cannot take lightly. And the, since the New Testament to now, that constantly Christians were really fighting the materialism and temptation of greed and selfishness, is that greed ultimately cheat us on our eternal inheritance and our you know, God's true rich blessings. And here, I want to quote uh, Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, a well-known pastor who translated the Bible, the message, you know, message Bible, he, he said once this, on this passage actually, he said, with thinking, wealth 
as a love to be shared and begin to calculating it as a power to be used. We reinterpreted our wealth and position as something we are in charge of and others as the poor that we must organize and direct and guide. As we do it, it feels good. We are in charge. We don't need others. We are in control. We know more than others. We have more experience. We are going to, we are going so much good. We need a bigger barn. In order to be more effective in our use of what we have, we accumulate more, extend our influence. We become very busy doing good. And because when we are very busy, we don't have time for building the more and more demanding and difficult personal relationship of love. Building barns, which is obviously a good thing, doesn't leave much energy left for the time-consuming work of loving our neighbors, and let alone God. You know, wealth, he said, is actually, we have to perceive wealth not as a privilege. I mean, wealth as a, you know, we need to perceive wealth as a love to share. Love to share. Think about that. The wealth that God gives us is a love to share. After you know, meeting my need and taking care of my family's need, whatever left, I mean, we do our best, and there is a love to share. Not the power to use, but love to share. And, you know, I, I'm very uh, grateful for uh, many of our church members. I said this before, but uh, in terms of giving, we are better than average church. Per capita, we are definitely better than average church. And uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a one house church shepherd that I, you know, uh, somehow conversation, you know, came to how much cost to host. And uh, you know, that particular, you know, house church shepherd, they, you know, they, it cost them like a four, five hundred dollars easy a month. You know. And uh, I mean, by grace of God, they are doing very, you know, uh, uh, joyfully. And when I heard, and uh, when I heard that, you know, you know what I felt, what I actually decided to do. I said, I'm going to pray for you, <laughs> that God will honor your sacrifice. You know. If a human being, a pastor, wants to bless you know, uh, someone, a uh, faithful, sacrificial person like that, how much a Heavenly Father wants to bless that person? Maybe right, not right away, if, you know, that $5,000 bonus a month? Maybe not. But God's blessing surely is there. Uh, do you know, I'm talk, speaking of the topic of greed. Do you, you know, I have a greed. You think I'm a holy and pure? You're wrong. You don't know me. Well, you know, why, why am I in ministry? My mother used to say, and then I heard that again just last, you know, a couple months ago when I visited her. She said, Paul, your brother, he's more fitted to be a pastor. <laughs> and he's a businessman. And you are more fitted to businessman than pastor. Because she knows how calculating I am. Right? And inside I'm saying, Mom, 
You don't know that I'm still in business. You call it ministry, for me it's a soul business. Because there's no better business than soul business. Do you know when I was in college, my major was economics and business. I even took the accounting class. I hated it. And that, I'm sorry, no, no offense. I was dumb. That's why I couldn't, you know. When few senses are missing, it didn't bother me. But my <laughs> professor said, you are not, you are not good accountant. And I'm going to be a CEO. It doesn't matter. Few cents doesn't matter. Anyway. But one day, I read a passage in the Bible that what good it is for every, someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul. Nothing is more important than soul. Everything in this world and this passion passes away, but the one who does the will of God lasts forever. And what is the will of God? Find the lost. Save the lost. And strength, you know, equip the saved to once again save the lost. We are in saving business, saving soul business. If Jesus and God think that a saving soul is a far most important thing, why in the world that I, you know, that's a business to be, right? I want to say this. I pray that for us we become a very good soul business people. The sacrificially lovingly we go after the loss. We shower them with a generous friendship and a genuine prayer so that they know that we really trying to, we really believe in Jesus. We, our money, our you know, generosity speak our trust in God and gospel. We want to share the taste of heaven with them in our house church. Yes, it costs us. It costs us dearly. It will affect the class of where, you know, airplane ticket will buy or, you know, the, the, it will affect our vacation. But whatever cost we do, it will be for kingdom's sake. And the Father will remember. And uh, I want to tell you that when we get to heaven, when in the presence of God, you and I will know that those of us are faithful in house church ministry, we will be the richest of all, saving us all. Can you imagine when you get to heaven that some people come and thank you, Paul, thank you, John, thank you, uh, thank you, you know, uh, Asman and Hayun, thank you, you know, Mo, thanks to your prayer and sacrifice. I met Jesus, I'm here, my family is here, my friends are here. We'll talk about it for eternity. Jesus is not against the wealth. Jesus is for the wealth. Problem with greed is to shortchange the eternal wealth that God promised for us. Jesus said, you can be truly wealthy by sharing your resource for glory of God. Let me close uh, uh, my message with a story. There was a uh, a legend, a master who was, who had a very dumb uh, servant and he was exasperated with his dumb servant because anything he asked, he, he, he didn't do well. So one day the master was so frustrated, so he gave him a staff and said that when you meet 
somebody dumber than you give this death. And the master's intention was that he will never find somebody dumber than he. So he, this, as, you know, this staff will remind him how dumb he is and how patient and kind I am to him. So this dumb servant received that staff and then, you know, from time to time he met a new people, he found some dumb people, but he wasn't sure who was a dumber. So he couldn't give. So he hold on to staff and then one day, he came back to the master's house after long business, and then he was ushered into the bedroom of his master, and the master was quite sick. In the course of a conversation, master said, I'm going to a long journey. Servant asked, when do you plan to be back? Master said, this journey is from which I will, I, I will, I will not return. So servant said, sir, have you made all the necessary preparation? Master said, no, I have not. And then servant asked, could you have made all the preparation? Master said, yes. I guess I've made my life to, I have my life to make them, but I've been so busy about other things. And then servant paused and said, Master, you're going to a journey from which you will never return, and you could have prepared for it, and you just didn't? And Master, yes, I guess that's, that was it. At the moment, servant took the step and gave to the Master. I finally found somebody dumber than I. Now, reason I decided to choose this story to conclude our message is here. We just read a story of a dumb rich fool, right? Rich fool or what, you know, uh, rich dumb. After hearing this story from Jesus, you and I live once again selfishly, just, just like this rich man. Guess who, who are we? We become a dumber. So we are in, this is a challenge. Dumb and dumber. We saw one dumb guy. I hope we don't become dumber. I hope we become really dynamic, you know, exciting, generous, and gracious children of God. You know, I say this many times, but I want to tell you this. I don't envy any billionaire, multi-billionaire, the richest man in this world, because I'm a child of God, and my father is the richest person of a whole universe. His riches are bigger than the universe, and he loves me, and I'm going to share my eternity with him. My future is brighter than any billionaire in this world. Their privilege will end a few years. Mine is about to begin. Man alive. When people are talking about multi-million dollar lottery ticket, I was saying that what I have in Christ is much more precious than all of this. Dear Forest family, God loves us so much. He did not spare the most precious thing he has, his only begotten son for us. You and I are his treasure. Let's make him our treasure. Let's make him a center of our life by really sharing our resources and times and prayers and money so that we can truly reflect that Jesus is the center of our life.
And everything we do is, is for glory and honor. Let's pray.